Hello, you've reached Reconstruction Calls. I'm your host, Spiritual Director Aaron Maines. In today's episode, we're talking about empathy. Are we really willing to go deeper with people, to be present with them, especially when they're working through a difficult time? My mom passed away a few weeks ago, and in working through my own grief, I called my friend Dave Jager, and I made a confession, which was that in all of my reconstruction work, I may have lost the need for heaven, and thus talk of my mom in heaven wasn't that comforting for me. What came up in the conversation was my noticing people avoiding pain by the words they use. So talking to my therapist friend and bringing this conversation to the podcast felt in a way healing for me, and I hope it'll be healing for you as well. So Dave is a good friend of mine. He's a marriage and family therapist with a private practice in Nashville, Tennessee. He also has some incredible tattoos. That is a different podcast. So please hold while I get him on the line. Hey, Dave, thanks so much for doing the podcast today. It's great to have you on. Um, so to get started, as I always do, uh, let's learn as much about you in a short amount of time as possible. So let us know all your types. So that might be Enneagram, Love Languages, Strength Finders, Myers-Briggs, whatever you got, just, th- just throw it on us. Sure. Um, good to be here, Aaron. Again, I'm Dave. And uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a two on the Enneagram. Uh, okay. I don't know. Um, I don't know which direction I go with my wing. I'm not. I'm not fully decided if I'm a one or a three. <laughs> I'm All right. Two. Uh, as far as Myers Briggs, I am an ESFP. I think originally okay. I tested as an ENFP, but uh, as of lately, it's been an ESFP. Uh, for okay, so that's extrovert. That? That's extroverted sensing, yep. feeling, perceiving. You got it. Okay, cool. Yep. I think I know. I, I think that all like relates really strongly to like the Enneagram twos, the uh, like sensing, perceiving, feeling. Totally. <laughs> totally. And um, I'm really strong. What's really interesting is I'm really strong. I, I think typically I don't love the breakdown of gender stuff, but I think t- I think I'm one of the kind of rare males who's a who's an F on the on the huh. um, feeling versus uh, thinking side of things, and so yeah. Anyways, um, but yeah, so, uh, so that's that. And then as far as, uh, what was the other one? Oh, um, the one that I, the ones that I know for sure is I'm, uh, I'm a, I'm a gifts, receiving gifts, uh, okay. or acts of service. That means a lot okay. to me on, um, on the, the love languages. Mm-hmm. And then I've done this, but it's been so long. I can't remember. Yeah. And I know yeah. with, with Finder, I was like, um, I know that I was, I, I'm everything from like empathy, woo um connectivity or connectedness um all the kind of like uh social um mm. empathetic, <laughs> uh, ones like that but no strategic or anything like that okay that's interesting yeah <laughs> yeah so like on your love languages so gifts and acts of service what does that look like in like real time for you like are you always bringing people gifts or like uh making stuff for them yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's funny because um, I think it shows up most in my marriage. Like, mm-hmm. uh, for my, it's funny because I think that oftentimes what what our our um, our love languages are is how we actually like try to show it to other people. And yeah, so, right. 
but for my wife, I'm like, I'm always taking care of the house and I'm always like mowing the yard and making sure everything looks nice and making sure that if there's anything that needs to happen for her, that like it, it's happened. Right. And like mm-hmm. every time I go to the store, I'm like, well, what would she want? Like a candy bar? Um, would she want like this book or how can I be like thinking of something that would like be important to her? Right. And mm-hmm. what's funny to me is like, I married someone who those things are just not very important for. <laughs> <laughs> she's like why did you get me that <laughs> or like, hey it's great that you ran around all day doing all this stuff like do you want to hang out with me because she's quality time and, uh-huh. and i'm like oh yeah that's important to you <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's good i feel yeah. like sometimes that uh like access service people should only be allowed to marry other access service people because totally. it would make everybody it would make both their lives better <laughs> well, yeah and like I mean, like it's, it is, it is really hard. Like when we get sick, it's kind of the classic, like two ships passing in the night and totally missing each other because like, you know, she's um, like, when I'm sick, she's like, let's watch a movie together and let's, and I'm like, get away from me. I just want to be alone and get through this. And like, all I need you to do is take care of my responsibilities out there. Extra service, right. Or like get me food gifts. Yeah. Um, and, and for her, when, when she's sick, I'm like, I'll take care of all your responsibilities and make sure you have every meal taken care of and stuff. And she's like, can you just sit with me? And it's, I don't know, it's so frustrating because you're like, you're, I'm working so hard to connect with you and it's making no connection whatsoever. Oh uh, yeah. It's good. Yeah. So, cool. Well, yeah. hey, do you, do you want to play a game? Let's do it. All right. This, yeah, cool. This game is called Psych. Uh, just the classic 90s psych. Uh, <laughs> in this game, I'll tell you the credentials of, of a celebrity doctor, and then you have to tell me who it is. But don't worry, it's multiple choice. So okay. uh, I try to make it a little easier. So Okay. All right. Uh, uh, number one. This television doctor has multiple degrees in psychology, but was only allowed to practice for several years before a scandal took away that ability. Now he just gets real with people on TV. Is it A, Dr. Oz, B, Dr. Phil, or C, Dr. Drew? Dr. Phil. It is Dr. Phil, that's right. I didn't know that he like never really practiced psychology, <laughs> but his, his degrees are legit. Like he's a legit psychologist, but he yeah. like, he doesn't, he only, it said he only practiced for like five years or something like that. Yeah, it's crazy. funny you said something about that though, like what he does on the show now or what he calls it now. And it is, I read something about that just last week too. Yeah. He said it's just entertainment. Like it's not, it's not psychology or something yeah. like that. So anyway, all right. Question two, you're one for one. This TV doc, there's a big prize at the end. Um, okay. Not really. Uh, the, <laughs> question two, this TV doc spends a lot of time talking with people about how to maintain a healthy lifestyle, and he frequently addresses health concerns. However, he is actually a surgeon and not a wellness doctor. Is it A, Dr. Drew, B, Dr. Travis Stork, or C, Dr. Oz? Man, I mean, I feel pretty confident it's Oz. It is Dr. Oz, you're correct. <laughs> yeah, he's like a legit surgeon and he's on TV talking about like, yeah, like eat more salad. <laughs> so, okay, question three. Question three. This celebrity doctor has been sharing her opinions on all sorts of medical issues for over 30 years. In reality, her doctorate is in physiology, which can be medical, but typically is not. Is it A, Dr. Laura, B, Dr. Ruth, or C, Dr. Sandra Lee? Oh, man, I have no idea. This is, does this get harder <laughs> as you go? Is that how the game works? It does get a little harder, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, man. 
Okay. Oh shoot. I I'm gonna say I'm gonna say B. B. Doctor Ruth. It is not Doctor Ruth. It is A. Doctor Laura <laughs> Schlesinger. No. <laughs> she was the one that I probably knew the most. <laughs> All right. Bonus question. Do you know who Dr. Sandra Lee is? This is embarrassing. I don't think I do. Oh, I it's, not, it's not that embarrassing. She is Dr. Pimple Popper. Oh, I do know who she is. <laughs> oh, that's so good. It grosses me out just thinking about that there's a whole show where someone pops pimples. And, I, and used like to, I used it. to have her on Instagram and I, would, I followed her and I would watch oh. it. I loved it. Ugh, I know people like it, but that's like the grossest thing to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right, well, you win. Um, I'll I'll make sure to get your grand prize in the mail to you. So just be oh, just. How did I win? I don't even know how I won. I got like half wrong. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know either, but there are no losers. So. <laughs> All cards on the table here. Uh, this conversation between Dave and I started a week or so ago after my mom passed away. Dave and I were on the phone and I made a confession. There was like a real tension for me in talking specifically to Christians after my mom passed away um, and how they would respond in really what is such a strange time. So it's strange to lose a parent. And I really do appreciate everyone's caring. And I mean, honestly, so many friends have sent text messages or brought us food. It's been really incredible the way that our community has gathered around us. Um, so what I want to talk about today is really centered around a few strange conversations. I think that as I've reconstructed faith, this is a big one. I don't think I need heaven anymore. Mm -hmm. um, maybe people that are also listening are with me, or maybe they're really like, I don't know, trying to figure it out. But so in reconstruction, maybe not needing heaven, I think maybe heaven's not that comforting for me anymore. Uh, but so many Christian conversations around death are only about heaven. And so that's where I want to begin today. So Dave, can you give us some insight into comfort as a psychological idea? So when we say comforting things to other people, are we trying to comfort the person or are we trying to comfort ourselves? Yeah, I mean, this was a, it was an interesting time when we were talking last week, and I by no means consider myself an expert on this topic, but I think, I think oftentimes when I'm sitting in a room with a client, so I'm a marriage and family therapist, and, uh, and I have a number of clients uh, across, from couples to individuals and things like that, and I think oftentimes what I, I'm trying to ping in on in a session is when someone feels actually a lack of comfort. Um, mm and really trying to hone in on what's happening in those moments, right? Uh, and, and one of the ways I like to kind of frame that is um, through this language that, that we talk about a lot, which is called a perceived threat. And, mm -hmm. and so what we're doing in, in oftentimes uh, in counseling is we're looking at someone as they tell a story and, and everything, and we're kind of looking for times when they feel a level of discomfort or, or for them, it's, to me, it's a response to a stimuli. And that stimuli is saying that there's something that maybe is threatening or uncomfortable uh, that's going on in the room or around me. And that could be something as big as a, a huge trauma that's been activated, right? Mm, yeah. Or just a general sense of like, um, you know, our feet start tapping and we start kind of looking around a bit more and our breathing maybe increases or we start tightening up and our shoulders go up a bit, but there's some sort of just tension that we're noticing in the room. Um, 
And so then oftentimes I think what, what we unconsciously do in those moments is we try to fix it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Deal with the perceived threat, right? And make it go away. And that's a, to me, that's a, a very protective response, right? Um, it's, it's not necessarily uh, thinking about and zooming out about what's really going on and what maybe my role is and the other person's role is and, and how to kind of navigate that situation. It's like quick fix, like let's deal with the problem. Yeah. And, uh, and so oftentimes the quickest thing that we want to do is we kind of want to escape. And so what we were talking about is how people oftentimes are like, well, I'll be praying for you or like, oh, I'm so sorry. I hope that gets better. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's kind of this thing where it's like, I kind of want to say that and say something nice, but then move on. Right. And get away. Right. From right. Feels like I'm, there's something expected to me of me unconsciously to be saying or doing, and I don't know what that is. And so I want to kind of relieve myself from that in a sense. It's like when people say thoughts and prayers, like they tweet thoughts and prayers on Twitter. It's the, uh, what, what do I say? The quick, you know, the quickest thing to convey meaning um, when I need to speak into it. And um, sometimes, especially in the political realm, it can feel disingenuous, right? Like every time there's a school shooting, it's like politicians say, oh, our thoughts and prayers go out to the families. And then they don't, it seems like they don't do anything about it. And so that feels disingenuous, especially after we've seen it happen like multiple times from the same person. And then they never they never like do anything about it. And so I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to get real political. Uh, oftentimes I don't know that uh, like in, in the case of my specific example, that the person saying it is being disingenuous. I think they are trying to say something genuine and it's coming from a place of faith that they feel like uh, there's hope, right? There's hope in heaven. There's hope in saying the thing Um yeah. that they're saying. And so I don't want to say that they're being disingenuous, but um, just on the receiving end of it, uh, after a couple of different conversations with people, it just started to feel strange to me. Um, it started to feel strange in a way of, it, it, it really forced me to question, is that idea hopeful? Is the, is, or do, do I need to be comforted right now? Or do I, should I just live with sort of the loss and the pain and let that be what it is rather than dismissing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I'm, uh, I've been thinking as you've been talking a little bit about how um, there's this little short film that it's like a cartoon short film that Brene Brown did. And it's a, uh, it's kind of tackles the concepts of what sympathy is and what empathy is. Hmm. And it's a really beautiful short film. It's like two minutes long. I can send you the link if you want, but it's, um, it, it basically shares about what sympathy is and in picture like in, in the video there's like this this kind of yogi bear type character that's down in the bottom of a pit right mm -hmm. and has been hurt and and is feeling some sense of like pain or grief or loss or suffering and uh and in the the video describes sympathy as someone up on the top of the pit kind of shouting down like hey i hope you're okay i'm so sorry that that happened you know and um mm -hmm. it's there's it's this weird sense of like distance between us. Right. And it, and sure it's well wishes. Sure. It's genuine. Um, and, and, and sure those, those are very kind and, and caring tones and words that are being used. Right. Um, but then it goes into the video and it talks about what the concept of empathy looks like. Right. And it, it shows this character that kind of comes and sees the bear down at the bottom of the pit and crawls down this ladder and like 
pulls up like next to that bear and sits down and there's kind of like some some physical touch contact right um yeah. and there's this like there's this much more shortage of words and much more like presence and and like actual physical presence next to someone in the midst of like being next to them and we, we would say it's kind of that like suffering with right empathy mm, is yeah. kind of like this deep connection with uh and that feels so different right like that even just like hearing that narrative and kind of picturing that you can see that like something mm -hmm. there is really profoundly different than kind of like a, a well wish in a sense mm, yeah you know and and sometimes i think the well wish is all all we can do right uh, absolutely you know especially if, if if we're not super close to a person or that sort of thing um sure and and so the the suffer with idea, I think, is really, um, from from a faith perspective, is is really great in the sense of that is the idea of, it, you know, it's sort of a picture of Jesus uh, to to come and to suffer with, um, you know, mm -hmm. humanity and and however that looks like. So, um, but but really, what I want to talk more about is uh, a living with our. I guess living with our suffering um, or uh, so the idea of the bear getting into the pit and just saying like, I'm going to sit here with no words and just be present mm -hmm. is, is an oftentimes I think is something that people, I mean, it's off. It's obviously difficult to do. Um, mm -hmm. And, and it probably doesn't come natural for a lot of us, but I think it might be the most important thing we can do. So in that picture of the bear, crawling down in the pit and sitting with someone and, and just sort of suffering with, is that, is that worth it? It does that do something for us? Um, you know, I think that definitely does something for the other bear. What, what do you think that does for us? I mean, I think that when we talk about scenarios, I think what I think about in that, in that instance, right. Is, is that, there's so there's two people in the scenario right there's the bear who's experienced pain so mm -hmm. if, if we're talking about kind of the example you used earlier like the aaron who lost his mother right and then um and then in that phone call last week i would be essentially the 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 person who like i guess in, in theory would be like wanting to like slide down that ladder and mm -hmm. like you right and and so from the perspective of like of me in that right like you you're telling me something about like man my mom has been on this journey for the last um eight years and this grieving process and and now there's this kind of official end marking point of like mm -hmm. this journey here physically on earth and um and then me being someone who's stepping in alongside you in that and i i think that like again, what, what we do as humans to be protective is we oftentimes want to, in a sense, um, avoid pain and avoid mm -hmm. discomfort. We're creatures of comfort, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, I mean, and, and yet I think when, when you ask about if that space, if sitting in that space with others or in our own space, that's hard is worth it. I think that that's where growth happens. Right. I, mm -hmm. I just, like for me, when I think about it on the most simple terms, I don't gain muscle and cardio strength and stuff sitting on the couch watching Netflix. I wish I did. Um, <laughs> but like when I go to the gym, like, you know, when I finally get my ass to the gym, which I, you know, last year around Christmas, I started going. Uh, and I mean, I felt like I was dragging every rack of ribs I had eaten behind me. <laughs> right? and, um, and it didn't feel like little diamonds were sweating out of my pores. It felt right. like really hard work. And, mm -hmm. and it felt like pain 
and I was sore. I mean, I, I hurt, right? And um, But what I did notice is a couple of weeks after I started, um, man, stairs were a little easier and I wasn't out of breath all the time and sweating all the time. And, mm-hmm. um, and I started to crave a little bit healthier food because like my body needed something to, to fuel itself in the way that I was using it. And, um, and over a few more months, man, like I ran a half marathon in Nashville. I ran almost 13 miles and mm-hmm. like my body was able to do some pretty incredible things. And I think what we say is there's this loop in, in psychology uh, where we call it, it's like exposure versus avoidance. And what I want to be very clear up here is like, this is something that we do when we deal with kind of common anxiety, common discomforts, areas that we want to grow in. This is not something that we use when someone has assaulted us or has hurt mm-hmm. us, right? Like mm-hmm. we don't want to expose ourselves to that person to get through it, right? Like, um, so this is more like, a, this is an area I want to grow in. And I know it's hard for me, but I need, I want to pursue that, right? And, mm-hmm. and we talk about the loop, right? When we press into things that are hard, A, we process through it. Um, and not around it and have to visit it later because we never really did it the first time. Um, but B, um, we, we will have, like, if, if this was the first call that I had with someone who had lost their mom last week, my anxiety is going to go up quite a bit in that call. It's going to feel a little uncomfortable because I don't know what to say and nor yeah. is there really anything that's going to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, like I have, it's like, A, I have unhealthy expectations that I'm supposed to somehow or another d- to help you process your mom's pain in one phone call. Um, <laughs> and part two is that like, I'm supposed to know exactly what to do to navigate you through that. And the truth is, is like, I'm a therapist and I don't know how to do that. And that's mm-hmm. not my expectation, right? Um, and so what we do is when we move through that is we, we run into some of those areas where we realize we don't have all the answers. And, and I think what we do when we expose ourselves to those things is we realize that we can let ourselves off the hook. Mm-hmm. And that like, the goal isn't that at all. It's something totally different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do that i think oftentimes we can lower those expectations where we it's just about connecting and it's just about like being with someone and and in that then we can be what they need um and we can be what we need right and mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's this really like kind of core fundamental like journey of connection as opposed to like having to solve all the world's problems right um and so to me it's like it's taking something that feels really big and complex and overwhelming and, and looking at like dead in the eyes through like exposing ourselves and sitting in it and realizing that at, at, at the end, it's, it's something very simple that, that like creates the connection in the, in the peace that we're looking for. Mm, yeah. I, and I don't so, want to oversimplify that, right? It's not yeah, like, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. It's not like, oh, just sit down next to them and it's in there. Everyone's going to feel great, right? Like it's still gonna be hard. Yeah. Yeah. But it is that you're not alone going through that. And, um, you know, I think people say, you know, I've certainly experienced people saying comforting things um, just because it feels like they they thought they needed to say something. Um, and then at the same time, I have other friends who have said very little, but I just know that they're with me. Um, and so it, it's it's like we haven't had to have a conversation about it. Um, right. And 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 I for me. Um, that feels more like the kingdom of God, um, right? Rather than heaven. Um, For me personally, that feels more like the kingdom of God, which is you're surrounded by community who loves you and cares for you, a community in which you belong to. And those people don't have to have a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of words for me, you know? Um, 
And so, you know, as I have worked on heaven some uh, from a reconstruction reconstruction place, I think heaven and hell have become more of like present reality. Like, honestly, I feel like my mom has lived through hell for the last eight years. And so I don't, I don't really know that I need to feel like, well, now she's in heaven. I think there is some comfort that comes with that. Um, but there's also comfort for me thinking, believing that she's with me and like their spirit, you know, there's this idea of like, uh, we say it in the creeds, actually the communion of saints, you know, at the end we say the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, that sort of thing. Um, so there's this, there is this more comforting idea that's more than just about heaven, which is this communion of saints that for all of eternity, you know, essentially my mom will be with me. Um, and, and that I can, I can continue on a relationship with her, even though she's not present here on this earth. And so, you know, it's funny, the afterlife is either really comforting or it's really awful, <laughs> you know, like from a Christian perspective, I mean, uh, you know, not from like the, the Catholic perspective with like a purgatory idea, but like the, the sort of heaven, the dual, the dualistic idea of like the heaven and hell are, uh, yeah, either really comforting or, you know, like there it's not. And so, um, so, so, you know, they, there's that, there's that old saying that like all mamas go to heaven, right? Like, yeah. like there's nobody. And, and and, you know, working at a church, I've done, I've run sound for a good number of funerals. And I'm just not sure that no matter how, like, strange the person was on earth or whatever, like, no one's, I I don't know, but I feel like no one at any funerals I've been to lately are like, well, you know, <laughs> Uncle John, he definitely went to hell. <laughs> you know? so, so in a sense, it's like heaven is the, the all encompassing comfort, right? And, and. And that, or that we'll be with the person again someday. <laughs> and yeah. people say that even if it's like, boy, my uncle was a real jack, you know, jackass. <laughs> and like, I hated him. But, you know, yeah. we'll be together in, a, in eternity, that sort of thing. <laughs> but so, even, that, even that is that like core, core essence, right? Like, I, I think it's in whether you believe in heaven or not, or you or hell, or you need it to be real or not, like, it, it, you can see that like it's this internal battle to just find some sort of peace within ourselves whether we believe it or not right like it's just like yeah i want to say that about my uncle who checked zero boxes for qualification <laughs> like just because somehow or another it's like i just like i don't even care if it's true or not i just it's like that's what i need to mm -hmm. to hear right now or something and 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 maybe you know I, sometimes i like think that that's uh, like bonhoeffer would say like cheap grace right like a cheap mm. response but I don't know, maybe that is what we need sometimes. It's just <laughs> we're free for a minute, you know, and not to be in the heaviness and weightiness of it all. Mm -hmm. And and that's the hard part, right? It's like sometimes we just need something that doesn't really make sense. Yeah, and I, I wonder too if it's comforting to just feel like God really does love everyone all the way, you know? And so like if Uncle, you know, if Uncle Jack was didn't check any boxes in the like kind of in the funeral moment of boy i just hope that god loves him all the way because then that would mean that god would also love me all the way that to me is comforting um and that i don't know that we slow down enough to think about that sometimes that um 
Yeah, like we we have this idea that people have to check a certain number of boxes to to go to one place or the other. Um, so, question I, for you then? Yeah. So, like, what do you think's happening that day? Like, like I mean, I know that you you and your mom are kind of you guys are figuring out kind of some plans that are going to look a little different than maybe the traditional like funeral a few days after. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, when you think about that, and you think about that space with like going to the funeral a few days after someone passes, and like that there's what I hear you saying is that maybe there's something internally that's happening where like this whole value system that I live with day to day when nothing's really on the line as it is, right. um, you know, like suddenly when it is on the line, and it comes to this moment, you know, Glenn, our friend Glenn, he has this one thing where he said, like, man, sometimes like, I don't know what I think about things, but then he, his dad wasn't doing well. And he's like sitting over his dad's bed as he's kind of like somewhat unconscious. And he's like, finds himself praying. And he's like, man, it's crazy when you don't do that kind of day to day or whatever. And then suddenly when like something feels really, really significant, you go back to that. Um, and I think that there's these moments where like, day to day, we we function in the world as kind of normal. But I'm curious for you, when it is on the line, and when we are in that space, where we're asking those huge, enormous questions about like, where's mom? Or like, what's going on right now? What does this mean for her or for me? Mm-hmm. I'm curious what you feel like is really happening inside in those moments for us. Well, I think we're slowing down, number one. And you know, the the move of spirituality, the first move of spirituality is slowing down. Two, I think, um, I think that death causes all involved to face their own mortality. And so it's not every day that we think, um, you know, I'm going to leave the house and get hit by a bus and then we'll see what happens. Um, You know, it's, it's, we don't do that. Um, We don't wake up every day. You know, a lot of people say like every day is a gift. And I, I think that is a, is a healthy way to live. But when we say that, we don't say like, you know, we're, we're going to die or people we love are going to die. Um, and so when, when it does happen to us, I think our, our sort of deepest and truest hope comes out right before things are a belief, they're a hope. Um, and so, uh, and if, if we have lost the ability to really like deeply believe something, we at least deeply hope something. And, you know, the dangerous part is when we lose hope. Um, but I think, I think we always have a hope for the best sort of idea, whether that be for somebody that we know and love or, or even for ourselves, we hope the best for ourselves. Um, And so I think that's where the idea of heaven oftentimes can come from. Um, And then I think for the worst kind of people, we hope for the worst, (laughs) you know, we, we hope that we hope that if we try to live a good life that us and Hitler don't just end up in the same place, right? Like that we do think that we really do want God to love us all the way, but do we have room for Hitler, you know, at, at the, at God's table, you know, um, that is a hard reality. Uh, and so I think for me in the, like the reconstruction work has been, uh, pre- you know, like I said earlier, sort of present heaven, present hell. I, I would say that someone like Hitler lived in present hell. Um, yeah. uh, and so what happens post this earth? I have no idea. Um, and, and I think that's, I don't believe that something happens. I, I think that I hope for something to happen, but I certainly don't have a strong belief that something's happening. So when you're in that, you know, 
like you're saying, sort of the traditional idea, like somebody passes away and you have like, I don't know, seven to 10 days sort of thing before the funeral. We do tend to stop everything that we were doing. So we, we begin working on the funeral, uh, like as the family or whatever, you begin working on the funeral. And, and um, you know, like I read today that, uh, or I read last night that Justin Towns Earl passed away. He's yeah. 38, you know? And in that moment, I just thought, man, 38, like that's so sad. Um, and you know, they, they didn't say what happened. Um, mm -hmm. but he's got, you know, he's certainly Justin Towns Earl's singer songwriter, if you don't know him, but he, he certainly has, he comes from a, uh, an addiction heritage. Yeah. So you, you would, you know, have some idea of like, well, probably something you know, drug or alcohol related. Right. And so that in that moment, I was really sad. Like, I'm really sad. A, a 38 year old guy, he's a father, you know, like, um, I'm really sad. I don't know that I thought, I mean, I certainly, it, what doesn't cross my mind is, oh, I wonder if he is in heaven right now, or is it, you know, and <laughs> does anyone really think like, oh, were they in hell right now? I don't know. Um, probably. There, you know what? There are probably people that think that. Um, I guess for me, the hope is that that God does love us all the way, and that whatever that looks like, however that looks like, um, I think we can experience both heaven and hell here presently on earth. And um, I certainly don't know what that looks like in the afterlife. Well, and I think you're. I mean, man, this is. I think this is. I've, Feel like i could talk to you for about six hours right now about different parts <laughs> of it because like there's so much that i want to ask you and hear what you think but but also just like there's so much kind of stirring up even inside of me as you pose some of those questions right like and i think that for me i'm i was you know i think i've been thinking a lot today i had a conversation this morning about like attachment theory with someone and mm -hmm. uh, attachment theory and counseling basically says that there's these four kind of predominant attachment styles that we develop when we're kids and one of the things that I think when I think about death sometimes, and particularly death of people who we'd say like are bad or evil, is um, there's this form of, of attachment style that oftentimes a lot of folks who have pretty severe personality disorders have experienced growing up. And that attachment style is what we call like insecure with the subtitle of like disorganized. And disorganized basically means that oftentimes these kids kind of in the classic like classroom scenario were like maybe left at home without their diapers being changed for days at a time when they were infants, mm -hmm. um, maybe not being fed for days at a time. And then that, that person who is their parent figure or whatever, who's left them alone comes home. And then that child is still dependent on that person who's been so mean to them to feed them. And so they kind of need them, but they're also being traumatized by them at the same time. And they talk about how sometimes these personality types, the only way that they know how to survive is to shut off emotion. And what I've heard mm -hmm. about a lot of, and this isn't like some justification for, for evil people to do evil, right? But what you hear about a lot of folks who have that attachment style is that by 10, 12 years old, sometimes there's a, there's a total loss of an ability to feel. And hence, huh. we create immense pain in others' lives and in our own lives and not have any awareness that we're doing it, right? Hmm. Um, and, and so I guess to me, when I, what I think of when I think at a funeral, even if someone checks zero of the boxes for heaven, right? Um, right. I think like, I hope God knows somewhere out there that that person knows their story, right? Um, because like, I know, mm -hmm. I know 
I sure as hell didn't pick mine. And like the decisions I've made and the and the decisions I continue to make and the ways I continue to behave sometimes, I'm like, I hope God knows that my intent isn't to say that to my wife sometimes, you know? Um, yeah, or, right. Like, or like if I could have a redo that I would, right? And, um, and I guess we really hope that at the end of the day that we are known by others and by something greater than ourselves that really gets that at the core of all of this that we don't want any of those horrific things and we pick those and and i think that what i think is like oftentimes like i really try to believe that i don't think anybody does i don't mm-hmm. even think that the parents who create disorganized attachment styles they probably have their own right and mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. And so like how i guess what we hope is that is that we're not judged by a certain set of actions over a certain blip on this radar of the history of the world um, as one person in it, but that we're we're looked at as someone who has had these conglomerate of experiences that have shaped how we function in the world and sometimes have made it really hard. And sometimes we've had to protect ourselves and turn off the ability to feel, and then we can hurt people and that's not okay. Um, but like, how do we find restoration and healing and hope amidst like a world that's filled with pain in a sense? Yeah, so Aaron, as we wrap today, I wanted to read a, a quote, and it was by it's by one of my favorite authors, a guy named Frederick Beekner, and um, he wrote this quote. And just to give you a little context for it, before I just read the quote, is you know he lived. I like people who write from a position of having gone through some pretty heavy, hard stuff because I feel like they can communicate on a level of like really getting it. And um, and so he wrote this, and in this this piece, uh, this paragraph that he wrote is is uh, about the present moment. And, um, and he, he writes kind of just speaking to that, this moment that we get as in life, like we get one shot at life and Mm -hmm. our, our life is made up of a series of right now and right now and right now. So all Mm -hmm. we get is the present moment. And so here's his little quote on the present moment. I thought I'd leave, leave y'all with this today. It is a moment of light surrounded on all sides by darkness and oblivion in the entire history of the universe, let alone in your own history. There has never been another just like it, and there will never be another just like it again. It's the point from which all of your yesterdays have been leading since the hour of your birth. It's the point from which all of your tomorrows will proceed until the hour of your death. If you were aware of how precious it is, you could hardly live through it. And unless you're aware of how precious it is, you can hardly be said to be living at all. And... I just thought of that with you talking about this kind of heaven and hell and whether it's, it's, it's some eternal thing or it, or it's, which I, I firmly believe that this here and now thing, like mm-hmm. we get one shot at this. And I, I love the way that he captures the power that we have in each moment to be present and to sit in pain or joy or whatever it is and really live it. Dave, thanks for being on today. Hey man, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you what has you hung up right now. So maybe it's a, a, movie or some music a podcast just some kind of underground uh a, a board game i don't know what it could be <laughs> anything you want to share with us uh that you're paying attention to uh i'll share a couple things number one uh right now what i'm really into is uh is a concept called self-compassion and uh one of the the people who um has really formalized and, and done most of the work around this and uh, is a lady named Kristen neff and she's okay. out of i think i think she's out of texas and she um she's a wonderful 
author and actually I think the, one of the biggest game changing books out there for me and what I recommend to most of my clients is, is her book and it's just titled Self-Compassion. Uh, and again, her name is Kristen Neff. Uh, that's been great. Uh, number two, I've been super inspired watching the videos of a woodworking guy out of uh, California, <laughs> John Boyd. Um, and he makes this kind of like really cool furniture. Yesterday he made, he posted a thing about a uh, uh, a rocking chair that he made that he said, if Led Zeppelin was a rocking chair, this is what it would be. And, uh, <laughs> it's super cool stuff. I'm actually trying to make one of his chairs right now. And that's been a lot of fun. And then my wife and I have had some long drives recently and we've been listening to the office ladies, which I'm a huge office fan. And it's been really fun just hearing like an insider um, look into the, into the show. And so that's been a lot of fun just on the side to laugh and, and be interested in. Yeah. The Dunder Mifflin folks, they're like the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> <laughs> Just listen to the Casino Night one and the story of like Steve Carell. Um, he like volunteered to write an episode about Casino Night. And then he like kind of wussed out. And on Friday night before it was due on Monday, he was like, I haven't started it yet. I need someone else to write this episode. And they were like, no, you can do it. And his family was in town that weekend. So he wrote that whole episode like after 11 p.m. every night. And oh, my came gosh. In and like now it's one of the most famous episodes in the history of, of The Office. And he just kind of like chucked it together in one weekend is, is pretty cool. Oh, That's crazy. Hey, thanks for listening. You can find out more about Spiritual Direction and me, Aaron Maines, at my website, www.aaronmaines.com.